Our second scripture reading is from the fifth chapter of Mark, verses 21 through 43. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came and he saw him, fell at his feet, and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she will be made well and live. So he went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. She was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from a leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they had said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a people, saw a commotion and people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took a child's father and mother and those who were with him and went to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talibeth kunum, which means, Little girl, get up. And immediately... The girl get up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Here ends the reading of the second lesson for today. The word of God 
for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It was in uh, 1735 when General Oglethorpe was assigned as governor of Georgia, sent by the king. And they arrived in a portion of Georgia that they thought was a wonderful town, and he laid out the city of Savannah. Now, they brought with them an Anglican priest by the name of John Wesley, and he became the first rector of Christ, uh, Christ Anglican Church in Savannah, and you can see the church that is there today. Now, the problem with Wesley is here he was in his early 30s with the vim and vigor of how he was going to convert the Indians. Sure, he was the rector of the church, but they knew that if he was the rector, they had to listen to him. He was one of those strict rectors that everything had to be followed the right way. Lo and behold, when you are a young pastor and there's some sweet thing in your congregation, you start falling in love with her. Her name was Sophie Hopke. And he would have private Bible lessons with her. And he told her one time, well, I really want to be a missionary to the Indians. And he went to St. Uh, Simon's Island to be with the Indians. Well, that didn't quite work out because he wanted to change them and they had their own belief system. Well, he was frustrated and defeated, so he comes back into the church and as a rector, he followed all the rules. Well, during the time when he was away, wouldn't you know, Sophie found another fellow, and they had gotten married. Sophie and her new husband came to the church to receive Holy Communion, and Wesley, with all of his wisdom, refused her communion. This was an embarrassment to her, and it was an embarrassment to her husband. It was an embarrassment to the community. Well, her husband decided he was going to do something. He was going to fix Wesley. So he sued Wesley for 20 years of his salary. And Wesley was to be brought into court. But Wesley being an Anglican priest, thought, those courts don't really matter to me. And he had his arrogance going on. Well, that did not sit well with the court. It did not sit well with the uh, community. He was disgraced. On December 2nd, two years later, 1737, he sailed back to England for this four-month journey. While the ship was going and moving through the waters, in mid-January, 
there were three major storms out in the ocean that were fearful. And Wesley was stuck in the bowels of this ship and frightened. And as he writes in his, uh, in his memoirs that he was afraid that he had no faith and that he was willing to die. Now, while he was so frightened on this ship, there were 26 Moravians. And this was a, a, a religious group from Germany. And they were singing hymns and not fearful of the storm. What conflict for Wesley. Here he had been a scholar from Oxford. He had been an Anglican priest. His father had been an Anglican priest in Epworth, that little village in England. And these people, just common people, had a faith that they could pray and they could sing hymns. What conflict for him. He started to talk with the leader of, of this uh, congregation. And the leader started to ask him some questions about his faith. And one of the questions was, do you know Jesus Christ? And Wesley promptly said, yes, Jesus is the Christ for the religious faith of Christians. But do you know Jesus Christ? Here he was, a man in a crisis of faith. He's down and out, hurt. He questions if he is a rector or an Anglican priest. He's fractured emotionally. He's not successful in his missionary journeys. Sued by a parishioner. Not recognized by the court. Facing a terrible storm where he thinks he's going to die. What a crisis. Have you ever felt like that in your life? where everything seems to be busting apart for you and you begin to question where is God in your life and you feel as if there is no faith for you because it just didn't make sense when you're going through that crisis and you realize that you are afraid of what is going to happen next. You know, we're like this all of our life, aren't we? We see pictures of Jesus and we have some ideas of what he is like, but yet we kind of think he's out there someplace. Uh, Jesus is just someone from history that Christians have identified with uh, for many years. And yet when a, cata a catastrophe comes, we're not sure if we really want to trust this Jesus that we see in the pictures. This is when we are at that crisis of recognizing that we need a vigorous faith. 
and we need to put aside all of our fears. Where you see, faith can overcome our fears so that we can grow. Now, fear is a powerful emotion. Jackie is a counselor, and I know that she works with many people that have many fears. I wasn't going to say this, but a few weeks ago, we heard the tragedy where a 14-year-old girl and a 12-year-old boy that were under the custody of the United Methodist Children's Home had left there and they wanted to steal something from this nice house. In the house, the owner had guns. It was reported that they had busted into this house. And they thought, well, I can overcome the police. You know, it's great when you can watch television shows and you can overpower some of those authority figures. So the girl pulled out a gun and heard that the police were there and she started shooting at them. And what did they do? They shot back and they wounded her. The 12-year-old came out with another rifle, but when he saw what happened to her, he dropped his rifle. Talk about fear. Now, when we think, you know, there's an investigation of the United Methodist Children's Home. Please remember that the kids that go to this home are the throwaway kids. Their parents had conflicts. The kids were kind of plopped out into the world. And here they are. Some have had some trouble and they were put into juvenile authority. Some social workers said, what can we do with these kids? And they're put in some kind of a place. And the, thank God there is the United Methodist Children Home. And the kids that come there, they work with and they try to deal with. Now, these are the kind of kids that when many of us are celebrating Christmas and decorating our Christmas trees, these are the kids that are thrown into the trees by their mothers and fathers. Please understand that as we give money to the United Methodist Children's Home, we're reaching out to care for kids. That fear that we have is a powerful emotion. I have a friend of mine from Maryland, Bob Lutz, who is a, a Lutheran pastor and uh, we were going to go to a professional meeting in St. Louis. And uh, I, I had arrived with some of my friends in St. Louis, and we were attending the meeting, and Bob wasn't there. And he came in the next morning. He and his wife were dragging. I said, where have you been? He said, well, I took a train, a 20-hour train from Maryland to St. Louis. Why didn't you fly? I'm afraid of flying. It held him back. Fear, fear, fear. You know, fear affects our health. 
in January of 1966, the federal court uh, decided that fear and fear alone in three of sufficient cause of death. That was spurred on by the death of a 47-year-old Ralph Thompson. Now, Ralph was a third mate on a ship in 1964. The ship was hit by a tidal wave, and it was pushed into Valdez, Alaska. There were no injuries, but poor Ralph was so frightened by what was going on there. It caused such psychic injury that he died. He was scared to death. You see, fear can even reach the point of killing you. Lloyd C. Douglas had said, a man harbors any sort of fear. It percolates through all of his thinking, damages his personality, makes him landlord of a ghost. There are consequences to our fear. You see, the fear goes through our thinking. It affects the way we relate to others. It damages our personality. Sometimes we get the feedback from people that we're not okay, that there's something wrong within ourselves and there's something wrong in our heads. And we feel that. Poor, poor, poor Herod. Here was Herod, saw himself as the king of the Jews, and at one of the parties there was this sweet dancing girl, and he liked the way she was dancing. He wanted to get close to her. And he asked her, what do you want? And she said, I'd like to have the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. Well, a few days later, in come his servants with the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. A fear of ridicule for not following through. Fear enslaves us. We have depression. We're irritable. There are sleepless nights. Some of our veterans, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, they come back with great fears that they harbor, post-traumatic stress syndrome. We don't see what that's like in them because it's within themselves. Many of the vets tell me that they have terrible dreams at night, remembering what it was like to be on the battlefield and possibly being shot and killed. Fear, it carries over. What is the way we can deal with this fear? Part of it is, how do we put our life together? How can we begin to have a faith to go forward? Because you see, 
Faith is what it is that helps us to get over our fears so that we can take another day forward and look forward of where we can go with the hope of knowing that we are in God's hands and that is the faith that gives us life that regardless of whatever happens, we are there. We only have to have the faith to go forward. The gospel tells a story about Jesus that I'm sure all of us could relate to. Here is Jesus. Can you imagine this carpenter, the one that used to build tools, the one that could reach out and could help build houses and put roofs on, this carpenter that would go to the synagogue and study the Torah, study the prophets, study what God was speaking to. And he realized that God was touching his life for him to go forward. And he went forward, baptized by John, goes forth into the Sea of Galilee area, of all places to go, and to talk to those fishermen that had the smell of fish, that were busy in their ships or their boats, repairing those nets that they have sewn together to catch their fish. These fishermen that had that meager life of going out to catch fish and hoping that today they would have a catch only to sell them. And here comes this Jesus speaking to people about their faith. And one of those fishermen was Andrew. He was excited by what he heard because this, this Jesus was coming about speaking differently about religion. Now you have to remember there were different political groups that were there. You had the people that wanted to overthrow the Roman government. Here is the Roman government controlling these wild people, these Jews, Jews of all people. Pilate, kind of an angry man because he has been shifted around in their government and he wound up in Palestine, which is the worst outpost for a government employee to wind up. He had to deal with that. You had the uh, Pharisees, where their kind of religious faith was you have to practice rules. If you practice the rules, over 700 rules every day had to be kept, then it was one way that you were going to be saved. And they had to wear these long sleeves because they were afraid they might touch a sinner. And if they touched the sinner, then they'd have to do some penance and go through it all again. But they had the authority to tell you if you were wrong with your religion. Then you had the temple leaders who were trying to negotiate with the Roman government to keep peace in the world there, their world. And they needed to keep that temple open because the temple was more important. They needed to have the sacrifices. How can you support the, the temple when you have people come in? 
Let's change the money, not Roman money, but let's have temple money. People need to have sacrifices. Let's have lambs, let's have doves, that people could buy those. That was religion, true religion. And here comes Jesus. Of all places, Nazarene. Nazareth. And he talks to Andrew and Peter and James and John, the two brothers. He had that reputation as a teacher. And a teacher in Hebrew means rabbi. And he came with that message that came through of wanting people to have a living faith. You know, my father, my father loves you. He loves you so much that he knows the number of hairs on your head. That was something new for people to hear. He was the one that was the leader. He was the one that was reaching out to people. And he tells the fishermen that have been up early in the morning, that were tired of catching fish, that had the callous hands of rowing a boat. Can you do me a favor, guys, and row me over to the other side of the sea? Now, you can imagine when you're tired as a worker and someone else wants you to do something for them and how frustrated it must have been for them. But they thought, well, we'll do this guy a favor, and they row, and they row. And people that had heard Jesus started to run along the bank and going up and telling people along the way. And the boat pulls up to the shore. Jesus hopped over the side of the boat, got his feet wet. That didn't matter. He came. The dust was in the air from people kicking up the dirt. And he started to talk to the people. And he started to go into the village. And the crowd was all around him, pushing hard. And all of a sudden, one of the leaders of the synagogue comes running through the crowd. And because he was well-respected, they parted the way for him. And his name was Jarvis, or Jarvis. And he said, my daughter is dying. Come, come, see if you can heal her. And, Judas, and uh, Jesus said... Your daughter's not dying. And he started going to his house with him. And the crowd was following. Now, in the back of the crowd was this young woman in her early 20s or so, had this issue of blood ever since she started puberty. Look at her. Mother and father knew what she was like, all of her relatives. She was the one that the women in town would talk about. She was the one that was ostracized. She was the one that had to take care of mother and father and was going to be the one that was going to be the old maid. She was the one that saw her friends get married and enjoy 
being loved by a man. They were married at young ages. And here she was in 25 and bleeding. What's going to happen to me when mom and dad die? What's going to happen to me now? She's the kind of person that was always in the corner of life. And she heard that this Jesus was coming and she thought, if I could just talk to him, if I could just see if I could get a hold of him and get his attention. And she struggles to get through the crowd and she happens to grab hold of Jesus, trying to get his attention. Who touched me? Who touched me? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And Jesus follows Jairus and goes to his home. And people in the house come out and said, your daughter has died. Your daughter has died and they're crying and he starts to fill up his wonderful 12-year-old daughter was going to be limp. The hope he had for her, she was gone. His fear had been the worst for him. And Jesus said, let me see the child. Get all these people out of the house. We don't need to have people around. So he went in with the father. And he said, take my hand, child, arise. And scripture says, that Jesus said, do not fear, only believe. And then he said something very interesting. He said to those, that, those few that were in the house, now what you saw here, please don't tell anybody, because he knew that the crowd would be pushing him to fix all of their problems like he was a, magi a magician. You see, faith means we have to reach out beyond what is going before us. The theologian and philosopher, uh, Danish Lutheran Soren Kierkegaard, was wrestling with this whole idea because the age of reasoning was, and science was just beginning, where those that were scientists would say you have to have facts and you have to find track facts because that's where the truth is. And Kierkegaard was saying that there's something different about just the facts of life. There's something that's intrinsic within us that makes us want to go forward. And then he writes in his several books that he had written about how there is the stuff of faith. And he said that the, the person who is a Christian begins to have faith and that faith is like a, a person who walks along the dock of a water 
and he's willing to jump into 16 fathoms of water and expected God to help him float. My friend Bob Lutz, he had the facts about flying and how the air currents of the, the flight or on the wings would help to keep the airplane up. He had the knowledge of mechanics and the way all those variables within a, 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 an airliner could keep a, uh, a, a, an airplane flying. He, had, he knew about how the training of pilots could do that, but he didn't have the faith that this plane could carry forth. You see, faith becomes a choice that we make when all the evidence doesn't seem to make sense. It was in uh, 1809 when Dr. Ephraim McDonald had to make the agonizing decision of how he was going to help somebody to bring some healing and to be a medicine. He was contacted to come and help a Mr. Thomas Crawford who lived 60 miles away. Now that's not too bad for us because we just think hop in a car and go. All he had was a horse and buggy. And he tried to get to Mr. Crawford as soon as, soon as he could. When he saw the man, he saw that he had appendicitis. What was he supposed to do? Never before had anyone ever operated on someone that had appendicitis. Should he operate on him and have him die, or should he, should he let him go and let him die? What a bind he was in. And he decided he was going to operate the first time there was an operation for appendicitis. And he used the scalpel to cut him open. And people heard what he was doing. They're going to, he's going to kill him. And they started to uh, take a rope and make it into a noose and throw it over a branch that if their friend died, they were going to fix this doctor. And of course, we all knew what happened. Here is this Jesus that comes along and tells us, do not fear, only believe. Uh, John Wesley winds up in 1737, tries to be an Anglican priest, but he wrestles with that. Then one night, May 24th, 1738, he goes to this little prayer meeting in Bible study where the leader, and we don't know his name, he was a, a layman, was reading from the book of Romans, the eighth chapter. And Wesley 
says in his diary, my heart felt strangely warm. And now I knew that all of my sins have been forgiven. And we always call that at the moment of his conversion. From there, he started to do the preaching of what faith can do to people. And as he preached that from the different Anglican churches, because he was a scholar in Oxford, door after door after door of churches closed on him. What was he supposed to do? <laughs> he went out to where the people were because the churches were not relating to the people. He would go to where the miners were coming out of the ground and he would preach to them. He would preach to the people and start to share where they were in their life. And when he had a, a other preachers that were following him, he started to give them different disciplines of what you are to do. And one of them was, when you go to preach, preach on a high hill and make sure there's no rocks around. That's just it. And he developed this discipline and orderliness that Martha, when you fill out those forms for the conference, you know where we get them from. It's John Wesley of always wanting to fill out forms so we can be disciplined. Martha is the chair of our Pastor Paris Relations Committee. You see, every, every conceivable date danger that can happen to a Christian affects us. Yet the Christian knows that to have a personal trust in Christ is the ultimate victory over all the evil that may come to us. The Christian believes that she and he can lose, uh, cannot lose whatever those things happen to him. For even death will usher in the presence into Christ to be there. Remember Jesus? Do not be afraid. Only believe. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Now where are you with your faith? Is your faith alive and realizing that no matter what happens tomorrow or the next day, you're in God's hands. Let us pray. Oh God, it's so hard to believe. Be with us in our faith that we may be your children and follow you with a living faith. Amen.